Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. It's a great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they showed it. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna... Hello, everybody. Welcome into Shout, a Buffalo football podcast. He is Ryan Talbot. I am Matt Perino. And if you're tuning in right now, you probably were wondering where we were last night. Well, I didn't get done writing until about 1.30 in the morning. And we were talking back and forth about maybe doing a, a late night podcast. But it was something where with the events of the of the last 24 hours and everything going around, uh, uh, going on around the Matt Arises uh, uh, situation, I just felt like after the press conference with Sean, it would be good to maybe have 12 hours to digest things a little bit more, talk about it uh, on this show today. Uh, and, and we'll also get into a little bit uh, of what happened in the game yesterday and maybe uh, some some conversation about uh, some of those final spots that are you know going to be filled here uh, by Tuesday. Uh, we are brought to you by Tops Friendly Markets, your neighborhood store with more. Uh, barbecues, tailgating, on a road trip to see your favorite team, wherever the football season finds you, which is kicking off today, uh, full college slate uh, on, on tap. Make sure to stop at Tops for the best deals in town. From fresh meat to locally grown produce, Tops has everything you need and so much more for mealtime, snack time, or anytime. Tops at your table since 1962. Ryan Talbot, you are still at the table in the dark. How are you? Hey, I'm doing well. Yeah, still a few more days here in Arizona. I'll be back on uh, late on Tuesday night, but uh, Wednesday, our, our staple show, I'll be back in the old uh, uh, same area that I usually am when I'm at home. All right. So um, I think most people that are tuning in know the basic details of what's been the biggest story in the sports world over the last two days. Uh, Matt Ariza, uh, rookie punter, the Bills selected in the sixth round of the draft. Uh, was named in a civil lawsuit in California uh, that was filed on Thursday. Uh, he's being accused of participating in a gang rape of a then 17-year-old uh, female who uh, has not been identified, uh, has been referred to as Jane Doe. Um, and the details that have kind of scattered out uh, over the last couple of days, I mean, shout out to to some of the people that ha- have really just crushed it on the story. Tim Graham from The Athletic, Elena Getzenberg from uh, ESPN, uh, Jay Skursky from the Buffalo News last night in the uh, post-game press conference. We'll get into that in a little while. You know, details have kind of been scattered over the last couple of days. And I think the biggest point of contention, Ryan, that I think a lot of fans struggle with from the Bills' perspective, the team side of things, is, you know, they, they put out a statement shortly after the news broke and it said that there was – Thorough examination was the exact quote uh, of the Matt Ariza situation. Uh, they weren't going to make more comments of the time. But we talked to Sean McDermott last night, Ryan. He mentioned the fact that he's not going to deny that he's learned new facts about all of this 
in the last few hours. So I think that's where I kind of get hung up the most. And if you want to place blame on how the organization has handled it, that to me is the part of it to put out that statement without maybe understanding the full scope of this thing. And again, it's very important to note this is these are accusations being placed on Matt Ariza, but they are very serious allegations. Yeah, extremely serious allegations. Um, but but I think you nailed it, Matt, in terms of uh, where Sean McDermott's at, where this team is at, in the fact that they're learning things um, that they hadn't previously known. And I think that was pretty apparent even before that press conference because something didn't add up with the fact that they uh, had Matt Hawk on this roster up until the, early this week, and then they decided to cut him, name arises as their starter, if they had known all the facts or if they, if there wasn't anything new that they had known, why wouldn't you have kept Hawk in, in the conversation, at least going forward, knowing that this could uh, come out any day now? So it, it's definitely a matter of it seems like at least Sean McDermott and maybe the front office being blindsided a little bit by some of this new information that has come out in the last 24 to 48 hours. Uh, I put up a story. Uh, I spent a lot of time with it after the press conference last night to make sure, uh, you know, it, when you're writing something like that, you want it to be done properly and, and to put everything in its proper context. And so you could kind of go go back and watch the press conference with Sean, the obvious emotions that he was grappling with. And I, I, I just did Nate Geary show a little while ago. And you could tell yesterday that there was a different um, emotional state for Sean. I mean, it was he's always very business oriented, right? Like he's a he's a tough football coach. Um, you know, people have made that, you know, he jokes around at times, but he's a serious, especially on game days. But there was just another level to the seriousness. And then when he got up to the podium, started talking about this and the fact that, you know, he's learned new details that it was it wasn't easy to hear some of the things that have uh, been a part of this story. I mean, if you go and read uh, the civil suit that uh, a few uh, reporters have put out, you know, snippets of it. The gory and graphic details of what happened at that on that night—they're really hard to read. And so we all have family members. I mean, we have uh, sisters, we have mothers, we have aunts, uh, we have grandmothers. I mean, could you imagine if that was somebody in your family? So I'm sure having something like that happen, you know, finding out and maybe feeling like you know not knowing all the details and then finding it out as the course of the the day went along. The Bills didn't play Matt Ariza yesterday. He did make his way to the stadium. It's going to be interesting to see where this goes from here because the story's not going away, Ryan. Right now, sitting here right now at 1238 on Saturday, uh, the Bills are set to practice later today. Sean McDermott will speak to the media again. If he's still on the roster at 4 o'clock, these questions are going to keep coming. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly right. You know, your roster is kind of locked at a certain point uh, for preseason games. So I, I understood maybe why that move couldn't be made yesterday or something like that. I think there were hints and clues, man. And again, this is just my opinion. I'm not uh, reporting that this is going to happen or isn't going to happen. But the fact that he wasn't wearing any team issued gear when he got off that third bus, he was wearing street clothes. The fact that uh, there was no number up in the locker between Reed Ferguson and Tyler Beck. Those those are all little hints, at least in my opinion, that um, uh, the Bills realistically know this is not going away. They know that they have a decision that needs to be made and probably made here pretty soon. It, it's just one of those scenarios. I don't know. I can't envision them keeping him on the roster. Now, again, they said they did an investigation. They might know more than we know, but it's just they're in a, this team now is in a very tough spot. It's a, it's a big cloud of, or a big distraction hovering over this team with the regular season here looming pretty soon. 
you know, I thought Micah Hyde uh, said something yesterday. Uh, Sal Capaccio tweeted out the quote where they do place their trust in Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott to do the right thing for the team to do. You know, he mentioned the fact that they kind of like to go out there and get guys that fit into the culture because of strong character. It's something that, you know, we've talked to Brandon Bean in the past when they go in the draft room and they're and they're going through the different categories. You know, character concerns is something that could get you dropped down on Brandon Bean's draft board and could get you knocked completely off of it. I mean, he sticks to his board when it comes to those intangibles, when they, when they scout players, when they kind of try to learn about it. So to me, it's not unbelievable that the bills didn't know, which reports are out that they didn't know about this when they drafted him. It's not surprising because it, to me, and I don't want to speak for Brandon Bean. If they had known about this before the draft, you probably take Matt Ariza off your board. And it seems like some teams may have done that. There was an AP report that said two, two executives, uh, anonymous executives, five uh, uh, the reporter spoke to, three didn't know about it, and two did. The three uh, that didn't know about it just said, you know, we, we didn't have a punter on our board anyway. But it's the kind of thing that if there's, if there's any character concerns during the draft process, that usually dings guys. Yeah, uh, exactly. And I was also watching a clip yesterday from Pat McAfee's show, and he wasn't reporting that the Ravens knew, but he he pointed out the fact that when the Ravens took a, a, a punter in the draft, uh, one of the executives in the front office said something like, you know, we, we're very careful with the players that we choose. We we do our due diligence and all of the, the prospects, almost like hinting at the fact that uh, why they did not go the Ariser route. And uh, looking back on it, the fact that Ariza came into this draft is by far the most hyped up punter in the draft class. And he fell to the sixth round and he was not the first uh, specialist taken off the board. It, it all kind of adds up now in, in terms of maybe some teams knew more than the Bills. I think it's fair to say that at least a handful of teams probably knew more than the Bills uh, about Ariza at that time. Uh, and that the Bills found out later on here, obviously, as the offseason went on. We're going to track this. Um Obviously, uh, in the coming days and weeks, uh, I mean, it, it's it'll be interesting to see if we get to the following week, the week of the Rams game, and he's still on the roster, uh, what that's going to potentially look like. I mean, the national attention that the story is getting in. We've seen what's happening in Cleveland. Like, they have absolutely, like, you know, gotten uh, – they put on all of their armor. Like, they've been kind of, you know, running through, like, the what, – what's that drill that running backs do? Uh, out, out in the practice field when they put the the, the dummies out there and you got to kind of run through right. um, the padded uh, the padded dummy. I feel like that's been the Browns offseason, right? Like continuing to kind of blast through all these different obstacles and questions and, um, you know, reports that have come out around Deshaun Watson. The Bills staring that down for a six-round punter. It doesn't make a ton of sense. Now, they do have a history of being patient with these kinds of things. I mean, we remember the Jake Fromm situation, Tyrell Dotson a couple of years ago uh, with the domestic violence charge, the LaShawn McCoy situation. And I know these aren't all the same. They don't all fit into one bucket. They're different types of things. But this is a very methodic franchise that likes to kind of do their due diligence. And, and, and to me, that's what I read from Sean yesterday was that that's what he's more interested in doing is is learning as much about this as possible. And it seems like he's still learning a lot about it and then doing the right thing at the end, but they got to do the right thing at the end. And, you know, from the, from the lawsuit, if Matt Ariza was on a, on a call with um, the plaintiff, the Jane Doe and admitted to uh, having sexual uh, relations with her and telling her to go get tested for an STD. I mean, sex with a minor. I mean, this, 
like I said, the details of this case, and that's just the the, the baseline level, the, the levels that this goes to, any involvement in that, I mean, you just, you have to walk away from it. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen a lot of fans say, I get the hype around the player, uh, the big leg and all that, but it's a punter at the end of the day. It's, and it's a player that, you know, probably the last player that you would want on the team in terms of causing a distraction. There have been superstars and again, different situations uh, that you keep along for different reasons. But this is a, this is a punter at the end of the day. There's going to be some good punters that are going to get released around the league here that are in competitions right now. There are some free agent options in a, in a Super Bowl year. If you have if you feel like any of this is true and you mentioned the, the, the call that was made um, with, with the police kind of recording it and all that, it's kind of hard to sit here and say how, you know, Oh, we're going to, we're going to wait this out. We're going to be patient. We might keep on the roster. And again, I, I'm going to stress the team might have known about the call. They might have some knowledge of that. They might have a, an explanation. So we have to give them the benefit of the doubt because they have been very, patient in terms of waiting for the facts to come out. But we're also talking about rosters having to get cut down to 53 players by Tuesday. Uh, we're, we're talking about this team having to kind of fast forward their their process in terms of making that final determination because you don't want to be sitting there uh, having to make a move the week before the game, days before the game. Um, the, the Bills have to come to some kind of conclusion on this matter very, very soon. Uh, we I want to talk about a couple more things uh, Ariza related, and then we're going to go into a little bit of the game last night. Not a lot to kind of take away from that. Like uh, we talked about after the game, Ryan, a bit of a stinker in terms of the, the Bills finals uh, uh, preseason game. Uh, I talked to Cam Lewis after uh, everything kind of the locker room had cleared out and all the media had ended. and He was kind of straggling out. I caught up with him real quick. I'll go into that uh, conversation a uh, very brief one uh, here in a minute because he's one of those guys that are firmly on the bubble and he actually knows it. So I want to talk about him in a minute. But uh, let's bring up, uh, I saw a super chat in here. Uh, Thomas Falzone, one of our regulars. Uh, appreciate you, uh, my man, for uh, always uh, supporting. I'm sorry, but asking Matt Barkley if he knew if his teammate was accused of gang rape was unnecessary and inappropriate. A lot of the questions were like cross-examination uh, for players who did nothing. Listen, I get it. Right. Like you're 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 a fan of the team, you're a fan of the players and those kind of contentious press conference settings. Like there's a reason that reporters go in there to do it. It's it's our job. It's our job to ask questions when you have an audience for whom you serve from a journalism perspective. Your your main goal is to seek out the truth and report it, inform your audience, your readers, your viewers. All the questions that were asked yesterday, and I know a lot of people took issue with Jay's aggressive nature and the, and the tone of, this is a serious thing. And he took an aggressive um, approach into a, a press conference that I think you really you really do have to bring in there. And I think he did a, I think he did a great job. Uh, if you didn't like a, a, the way the question was phrased or the tone of the question, well, there's a lot of people that don't like what happened to a 17-year-old girl in California in October of last year. And so questions are going to, are going to come up. Matt Barkley was brought to the podium. He's a quarterback on the team. He's one of the leaders on the team. He's a veteran. He's been in the league a long time. So is Case Keenum. You know, they, they can handle that. They can handle a little bit of those, of those moments. Sean McDermott as well. He's, he's the head coach of the football team. He's the face of the football, football team. I said, I said, tweeted it today. I appreciate that he's hurting the emotion that he's going through having to coach a game, 
Go through that whole experience of a game day in the NFL, go in the locker room, talk and address your team as all this going to, is going on, then going to the podium. Listen, I respect him for doing that, but it's his job to do that. Just like it's, his, it's our job to ask questions in the pursuit of truth, right? Yeah, this was not a time to be asking about football questions or strictly football questions and especially meaningless preseason game for a guy like Barkley, who, uh, you know, his spot on this roster in terms of the practice squad, I think it's already been, uh, you know, well talked about, well regarded. There's no spot for him on this 53 man roster, most likely. Uh, This was a time to talk about what's been surrounding this team, the news that's been surrounding this team the matters of it to get the takes of the players on this team to get a the temperature of the room so to speak in terms of you know what do the players think of this matter they they should their input or their their takes on this should also be valued and respected and it's something that uh it's a tough situation but i know that those players that were put up on the podium uh last night i knew that you know i think everyone knew what kind of questions they were going to be facing no one was blindsided by them by any uh, means they knew what they were going to get when they went up there to the podium last night. So based on what's going on with this team, the distraction that uh, this whole story with Matt Ariza has caused, I don't think that uh, there, there were any players that were surprised that they had to answer questions about those matters. Yeah. And, and I also don't think that, you know, Sean McDermott wanted to talk about it. I mean, he, he started off his press conference, you know, saying that, you know, that there's obviously a serious situation uh, happening right now that he uh, doesn't take lightly. Um, they, he did not want to get into the details of everything while everything is ongoing. Now I do think he will be pushed further on the bills part of it, the process on the bill side, not necessarily the details with Matt Ariza. If he can't talk about that, there's some legal proceedings and, and you know, maybe there's some, their lawyers don't want them to talk about that. I mean, I, I, I get that, but from the, from the, from the bills friend organization perspective, having a timeline of events is important. And so, you know, he said that he's hoping to have answers sooner rather than later. Um, he was asked by Jay at one point uh, if he had anything to say um, about the game. He said, respectfully, I don't think it's the right time to do that. Other than that, I appreciate the player's effort. So the coach was given a chance to talk about the game, and he also didn't want to talk about the game because this is a big, this is a big story. This is bigger than sports, Ryan. This is this is a like a, like we mentioned earlier in the show, uh, a, a person uh, that was you know the the kind of things that that appear in the civil case. Uh, if even the most insignificant details of this case are true. It's a problem. People need to be held accountable for it. Responsible. Yeah, yeah no, that, that's well said, man. I mean, that's perfectly said. Um, and I'm glad you mentioned the fact that McDermott had the opportunity to talk about the game. And he even kind of deferred that and said, that's not what's important here uh, tonight as he st- stood in front of the media. He was well aware. He he knew that that all is on the back burner. I know there are players that were fighting for roster spots, but it's bigger than football. Uh, thank you, Renee, for the super chat. Uh, she said, thank you for asking McDermott uh, what he had to say to the female fan base, a uh, portion of the fan base, survivors who are feeling hurt by this. That perspective is off, often lost. And, he, you know, he took a moment before he he reacted to that. And he said he he knows that they're hurting and they want to do the right thing. And, you know, they're working to do the right thing. And and that's just my point about all this is like I get Bills fans like, you know, want to focus on the season and and, and re- ready to, uh, you know, start this thing off in less than two weeks. This is a, this is a serious, serious uh, story. 
these are human beings and, you know, people have gone through similar things and, you know, people that we all know in our lives. So I send my love and uh, support out to all of them and uh, we'll see how this, this story plays out, right? It's, it's a really sad thing that people have gone through in their lives and we have to work as communities to, to stamp it out and make it unacceptable. Yeah, no, that, that's well said. And, and the bills, they're taking a patient approach one more time on this Matariza released a statement via his agent in game last mm-hmm. night saying he's looking forward to clearing this up while well, he he's gone. He's on the clock now in terms of having to clear this up um, with, with the front office, with the team to even get them to a place where they would feel comfortable having him on this roster. So, uh, you know, that's kind of where we're at now. And I see the comments that some are coming in on both sides here, just like on social media last night, last night was more than about a football game. It just was, I know that not every fan's going to appreciate that, but you have to kind of understand where the media is coming from. Um, No one, even the players, even the coaches weren't in that frame of mind to talk about the game against the Panthers last night. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. And we may not be in the frame of mind to talk about football matters, but we are a couple of days away from uh, roster cutdowns. 53-man roster projection uh, will be coming out tomorrow. So we were going to transition to that a little bit, give you a few final thoughts uh, before we get there. But before we do, the sizzle of the grill, popping open a refreshing drink, crowds cheering for their favorite team. These are the beautiful sounds of football season. And Tops is right there with you from fresh meat to locally grown produce. We have everything you need and so much more Tops at your barbecue since 1962. All right, Ryan Talbot, uh, value home centers, uh, your hometown team. It's your last chance to stock up on summer outdoor essentials. Shop outdoor furniture, fire pits, tables, grills, garden tools, outdoor decor. They have it all. And we're at that time of the week after after a game, we got to do our, our value uh, toolsy player of the game segment. Who did you have last night? I know there was a lot to kind of peel through a little bit. Not a lot of great performances, but uh, who do you think uh, stood out yesterday? Toolsy player of the game. Isaiah Hodgins. I am giving that to Isaiah Hodgins. I know if you just look at the stat, uh, the stat line, it's four catches, 19 yards. It doesn't pop to you uh, whatsoever. But if you were watching that game last night, two of those catches were uh, in contested spots. One, he kind of leapt over the back of the defender, hauled it in on, on a crucial fourth down play, made every catch that was pretty much uh, needed of him in, in that moment, in that matter, especially on one specific drive where he hauled in three of the catches proving over and over again that he can be counted on and depended on to use that physicality, use that frame to make some difficult catches. Uh, It comes down to the fact that the Bills want to keep six wide receivers, so they want to keep seven. I don't know where they're at in that process. I don't know. Every year it changes in terms of how many offensive linemen, defensive linemen they want to carry, and all that matters when it comes down to the wide receiver issue. But I think that Hodgins has answered every question this summer and has at least earned uh, a a spot on the 53-man roster. Will it happen? I don't know, because they do value Jake Kumaro and his uh, special teams ability. I just think that Isaiah Hodgins in his last audition for a 53-man roster uh, spot really, I, I thought he had a really nice effort and performance last night, Matt. 
Isaiah McKen- or Isaiah Hodgins has had a great offseason, spring, summer. It's crescendo to last night where you're right. It's not this like explosive stat line, but a lot of plays that were important. I mean, third down conversions, making tough catches. Those are the kinds of things that for a guy vying for uh, a spot on this roster as a coach, you want to you want to see those guys make those plays. And so I have a hard time disagreeing with you. Um, I, I think that that is uh, a great pick for uh, the toolsy player of the game. And now the, the conversation shifts to, you brought it up there for a moment. I think we should spend a minute on this. Six or seven wide receivers. I think if you if you keep seven wide receivers, you have a specific role in mind for all seven. If they keep Kumaro and they keep Isaiah Hodgins, I don't think both are going to play on special teams. And I also don't think both, I don't think either of them are going to have a significant role in the offense. So from that perspective, with with the numbers game that you got to play around the rest of the roster, I just don't see the Bills able to keep seven receivers. I just, it's a luxury that A, I don't think they necessarily need, and B, it's not one that they're going to, it's going to affect game day enough to make that decision. So I think the Bills are going to end up keeping six six. Uh, wide receivers. The end of the day, though, I do think the Bills keep Jay Kumaro. I think that the special teams ability and his physical, his physicality in the run game is going to separate him from Hodgins. The snaps that, that Kumaro has gotten over the last few years, where have they been? Mostly in run situations, right? They'll put him out there on the boundary and they'll ask him to be a run blocker. That's not the strength of Isaiah Hodgins game. I've watched him a little bit closer throughout the summer. And it's somewhere where I think that he's developing, but I don't know if the development has been enough in that spot and on special teams to pass over Jay Kumro. I think they take their chances and try to get Hodgins back on the practice squad. And that's a realistic situation as well. And, you know, Hodgins had some special team snaps and opportunities throughout the preseason. Uh, that's just something that's just another factor that the team has to evaluate here by Tuesday. And I could see it just being a flip of the coin in terms of that decision. I'm interested to see which route they go, Matt. You know, a, a person that was in the mix for my player of the game, he didn't play a ton. Uh, I was really impressed with Terrell Bernard. Um, it was one sequence was sequence in particular where you really saw the rookie linebacker flash his speed a little bit. I think I tweeted it out that it was like, okay, all right, all right uh, Terrell Bernard knows where the hit stick is, uh, and he used it. It was uh, the first play, uh, I think he had a bad read or may have missed a tackle, but he responded, um, or, or maybe he got beaten coverage, a little bit lost in coverage. That was the play. The next play, he diagnosed the run perfectly. He absolutely disrupted the play, erupted through the line, made a good tackle for a loss, and then a few plays later, just put an absolute smash stick hit uh, on a ball carrier. And I, I was impressed with Bernard. And listen, <clears throat> we, we know the, the the health issues at times for Tremaine Edmonds and Matt Milano over the years, more so Matt Milano. Um, so if they're out for any amount of time without a proven veteran like A.J. Klein, there could be a situation where from a versatility perspective, I know they're like Tyrell Dotson, that Bernard sees the field. And I think that the big picture of his, of his uh, summer, it's been re- a lot to like. Oh yeah, Bernard, Bernard was great last night. You mentioned the play where he shot out of. He looked like he was shot out of a cannon on that delayed blitz. Got into the backfield, uh, disrupted a play there. He had another big hit shortly thereafter on a reception. Uh, I, I like what he brings from the physicality standpoint. We already talked about the athleticism throughout the summer that he has. Very similar athletic numbers to what Matt Milano had coming out. Uh, when he came into the league. So there's a lot to like there. 
playing time will be limited on defense just because, as we've mentioned, it's it's a two-man show with Edmonds and Milano. If an injury occurs, though, uh, some chances might be given his way. Dodson, I think, is ahead of him on, on the pecking order, uh, but that doesn't mean that you can't get him out there a little bit if an injury were to take place. But I also think that you can have some sub-packages for him, Matt, where you can utilize him in, as a blitzer on certain downs and distances. You can utilize him... You know, may, maybe in, in a big nickel type role because he does have that speed. He is a you know a former type of like safety type numbers. Um, you, there's a lot of different ways I think the Bills can use Burnett, and I'm sure that they had that in mind when they drafted him in the third round of this year's draft. You don't just draft a linebacker and say, well, he's going to be good depth for a few years, and then we'll see what he's at. When you take someone on day two of the draft, I think you you in your mind say, okay. He might not be a starter as a rookie, but here's how we can utilize him out of the gate. We can use him on special teams. There's a lot of good things that we can do. (laughs) I want to get into Cam Lewis, but before we do, let's talk to tight ends because it's going to be a photo finish here. I mean, OJ Howard on the field, I think it was in the fourth quarter yesterday. Of course, we were starting to prep for uh, writing uh, post game. Not a great sign for the veteran tight end. Uh, And I think Quentin Morris has come on super strong in the last couple of weeks. And one thing that I think really stands out for Quentin Morris for me is the versatility that he brings. You saw him line up at times yesterday as a fullback. Reggie Gilliam wasn't playing. So he kind of kind of slots into that kind of role, right? He could play some tight end. He could play some fullback. He led all offensive players in special team snaps yesterday. 14 special team snaps. Uh, Blackshear had nine. Uh, Isaiah Hodgins had nine and uh, Neil Pau had uh, eight. Uh, let me see where did Kumaro? Kumaro had three, but I think they know what they have in that. I think Quentin Morris has done a, a really good job for himself. And I think where I'm at, listen, I could see a world where they cut OJ Howard and just say, listen, we, we called some teams. Uh, we weren't interested. Uh, we're ready to move on. Couldn't make a trade. We're going to eat the 3 million over the next two seasons and move on. I could, I could see it happening. I don't think it's likely though. I think it's more of a situation where you can make a few moves around the roster. Andre Smith is going to be on the suspension list. He's not going to count against the list. Maybe you go with five uh, linebackers. Maybe you um, go with a situation where you only go uh, eight or nine offensive linemen. You know, there could be a situation where they go 10 offensive linemen, Ryan. I'm, I'm starting to think about that potentially too. That kind of muddies up the waters a little bit. But I think definitively, wherever you try to keep a spot, I mean, really, you could you could probably cut Matt Ariza, and if that's going to be the decision that you make, and then deal with the punter situation after the roster um, cutdowns and kind of reevaluate things, move some pieces around. Uh, I know Joe Biscalia suggested, which I thought was really smart, vest- vested veteran uh, release of Taiwan Jones handshake deal, move some things around and get him back on the roster. There's a lot of different things you could do, but I think we're talking tight end right now. I have Quentin Morris ahead of OJ Howard but I still think they're going to keep OJ Howard. I think they're going to keep three tight ends. And I think that's fair uh, because of the money. If you release OJ Howard that you would owe the fact that I thought Howard had some nice run blocks last night. I'm going to give him a little bit of uh, praise for some of the the blocks that I saw him make in, in the game. He is not going to be a factor as a receiver this year. If he is on this roster, he might catch a few touchdown passes here and there, but he's not someone that you're going to see a lot of two tight end sets and he's going to be utilized as a weapon. He doesn't have that athleticism anymore. It's uh, night and day from where he was met as as a rookie coming into this league and the expectations to where he is now. Uh, But I still think that he has a spot on this roster right now. Quentin Morris. 
you know, you mentioned they lined him up at a full as a fullback at times last night. He had two early struggles as a blocker, and mind you, one was uh, against one of their starting defensive tackles on the Panthers, Derek Brown, and then that's just a, a tall task if uh, you're tr- traditionally a tight end. You're being asked <laughs> to kind of take on a player of that stature. As the night went on, though, Morris was making some great blocks. He had a great catch on that long drive for halftime uh, that didn't result in any points, but he kind of got them in the, in the mix for that fourth and one play. So he's made plays throughout the summer. He's shown that he can be a good blocker. Uh, in the right situation. I, I think that the Bills do have a tougher decision here than maybe we envisioned going into this offseason. Uh, I think after they signed O.J. Howard, it was almost like a foregone conclusion. It was going to be Knox and Howard. But now, you know, because of Howard's play, because of the development of Quentin Morris, there's really a case to be made that maybe Morris should be kept as the number two tight end. Right, and I think it's a situation where the Bills, if they want to keep Howard, you take the chance of releasing Morris and having him get claimed. I mean, I, I I do think there's going to be enough interest around the league in what he's been able to do. And I think people have probably studied the Bills offense, noticed the the arc of Reggie Gilliam, how much he's used, the importance to it. The what 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 uh Morris, to your point, flashes a blocker yesterday, I think is going to stand out. So I think it's a situation where you, you, you can't risk it. There's a couple guys that you're probably going to just be in that camp. Like, I can't risk it. Whereas at Isaiah Hodgins, listen. We've both advocated for him, and we've both said that it, in a perfect world, you get to keep that guy and continue to develop him. But if they end up losing him, you take another crack at it next year. You just traded for another fifth-round draft pick. You just drafted Khalil Shakir. You could do that every year. You know, add a you know uh, somebody that you evaluate that maybe other teams miss on. The Bills have proven an ability to do that in the receiver room. So, yeah, uh, I, I thought that was interesting. Let's talk about Cam Lewis for a moment. I think he's one of the most interesting roster bubble guys because depending on what happens with Tredavious White, if he's left on pop, uh, I believe he could kind of stay there, but then he'll miss the first four weeks. If he's activated, he'll be, have to be on the 53-man roster, and then they'll have to move some things around after the fact, or maybe he's getting closer to a return, and they just keep him on the 53. We'll see how that all projects. But I think there's a really good chance they keep 10. If they keep Trey White uh, on the roster, 10 defensive backs. If, they, if he goes to pop, 9. And I think Cam Lewis is that ninth. I caught, him up, I caught up with him after the game. He had a bunch of those uh, white... Uh, you know, nose stuffers. I don't know actually what they're called, but they're like, they look like little styrofoam uh, cylinders and he had them all jammed up his nose because it, it was still bleeding. I mean, he had a broken nose. He thinks the face mask uh, kind of came down on that one hit where he suffered the injury, but he admitted, he said it was rough out there, especially at the start of the game, you know, missed tackle on third down that led to a first down, getting lost in coverage, not reading that play close uh, fast enough when Baker threw the touchdown pass at the goal line. You know, he took responsibility for that. Uh, and, and so that's a situation where now you're looking at that in, in like the big final dress rehearsal here where, where all these guys are being evaluated and you wonder, all right, like, is this going to put Cam's roster spot in jeopardy? If maybe he was, they were leaning going with him, that kind of performance maybe knocks him down a little bit. And he said, listen, one game d- don't define me. I feel like I had a good camp. I feel like I had two good preseason games. So I'll work on whatever I need to work on and get back out there. So I think he still thinks he has, he's got a good shot at it. Uh, I do as well. I think he'll be on my 53 men. Yeah, and I agree with that as well. There's a lot more tape and reps of him doing good things this summer at training camp in the first two preseason games than what took place last night. And you mentioned it, the the long reception on third down where he missed the tackle and they moved the chains, not reacting fast enough to the running back out of the backfield on Mayfield's touchdown pass to Foreman where he was jumped over, hurtled over when he uh, missed a tackle there. 
there was some rough moments for him last night. There's no denying that. But you can't just put this evaluation, this decision, all into one game because we saw some really good things out of him uh, against the Broncos, against the Colts, and like we said in the preseason or in the training camp, I should say, there are multiple days where we noted him making some good plays, looking like he belonged out there when he was going against the top offense and, and things of that nature. So there's enough good tape out there for him in, in his favor. The versatility, the fact that he can play cornerback and safety helps his case. Um, so, you, you know, don't let one poor performance kind of skew your judgment over all the good things he's done this off season. We want to go next. There was a couple more things I wanted to hit on. Some guys that I think are, are practice squad Squad candidates, Mike Love again, nice pressure in the game on Baker Mayfield, flashed when they needed him to flash. Uh, Neil Pau, not someone that was ever in consideration for a roster spot, but kind of one of Matt Barkley's favorite receivers all offseason training camp. Uh, He ended up having a nice performance in the preseason game here in the finale. I wouldn't be shocked if he claims one of those practice squad spots, but you know, it's limited numbers. You might want to go a certain direction, keep certain players at other positions over him. Uh, And both of the reserve running backs, Duke Johnson and Raheem Blackshear. I know that their overall yard per carry averages weren't great yesterday, but they both flashed at times. Uh, And you have to remember too, that they were trying to run behind the second and sometimes third team offensive line, which really struggled against the Panthers yesterday. Yeah, Jessica asks, is uh, Cam's injury good enough to put him on IR? Uh, that's an interesting question. I don't think so. Broken nose, you could usually play through that, uh, wear something even if you had to. But he sounded like he was eager to get back out there. I don't know how many days he'll miss. We'll have an update uh, out of practice today. Uh, but thank you for the super chat. Uh, we appreciate that. Bobby Hart played a lot of snaps last night. I think it was just out of you know sheer necessity they needed somebody to play um and not wanting to play any of the starters are you officially bobby hart is a lock uh very good chance or or where do you stand on bobby hart here in the final days here uh, not a lock uh i would still say good chance to claim that final roster spot on the offensive line and I think they could keep nine or ten guys so keep that in mind I think that he could be the ninth or the tenth offensive lineman on this team he had his moments early on in this game where, where he was really getting pushed around by Derek Brown and by some of these uh, Panthers starting defensive linemen. He had rough moments, but it goes to the Cam Lewis argument. We saw some things from him at training camp, especially at guard, where he looked very good. Uh, we've seen some good film of him in the preseason as well. Last week's game, for example, uh, against the Broncos. So, yeah, if he ever were to get into a lineup, it's going to be against starting linemen, and maybe you would see more of that issue. But I think that they like the depth that he brings. They like the fact that he was willing to give guard a shot, and he really took <clears throat> took to it very well this offseason. He is still not someone I would ever want out there at tackle, which he did have to play a little bit uh, yesterday against the Panthers. Um, mm-hmm. That would be a worst-case scenario. But I think that there is a role for him as a reserve guard on this team. Yeah, I never think, thought that was going to go well for any of those guys uh, going to go up against the Panthers, who I think are going to have a, a, a formidable defense, a decent defense, probably better on that side of the ball than the offensive side. Uh, and you're going in there with all reserves playing alongside you. So I think, you know, for Bobby Hart, who's had some really good you know games, I thought he played really well against the Broncos last year when he was in there with the first team or the, I guess it was the first second team 
with a, with some of the starters in there. I, I thought he's been pretty solid. And I, and I just think from a sheer numbers standpoint, you look at like, who are the locks? If you take those, those five starters who we basically said Questenberry and, 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 and Brown, whatever it ends up working out there. Um, there there's your six Doyle's your seven uh, Mance is your eight. Um, and then I think Hart and Van Roten probably like if the Bills want to keep 10 offensive linemen, Van Roten to me would be the 10th. But I'd have Bobby Hart rated above Van Roten, even though he has that versatility to play inside. Mans could play be your backup center. So I'm not I'm still toying with the idea of 10, 10 offensive linemen. The Bills like having numbers there historically. Agreed. And, and you know, Van Roten not really playing at all last night, I thought was. Um, interesting in terms of trying to determine his roster odds. Um, so it's going to be an intrig- you know, an interesting decision on this front office. Do they go nine? Do they go 10? Is there someone that they're maybe hoping gets cut elsewhere and maybe they swap them out? Easier said than done, but Aaron Cromer does have a lot of experience with certain players in this league. Uh, so maybe someone that he's played with or coached, I should say, uh, becomes available and maybe the Bills go that route as well. But based on the, the players here, Hart, I think, has a good shot of being that ninth or tenth offensive tackle or offensive lineman, excuse me. Uh, Daniel Kolb on YouTube asks, has my Bobby Hart piece dropped yet? No, it's coming Monday morning, first thing, and it will be in our newsletter. And if you haven't subscribed uh, to the newsletter yet, Syracuse.com uh, backwards slash newsletters. You can sign up for the for it, and it'll come in season every Monday morning. So it'll have all the coverage uh, from the from the last couple of days leading into the game, and then everything post game and the and the and the podcast and everything like that. I'll have my fifty three man roster projection out tomorrow morning. So start your Sunday with that. Uh, what about you, Ryan? What do you got in the next couple of days here? Yeah, you know, I'm going to have the tracker, Matt, for the cuts because I could see the Bills making some of those decisions here in the near future. They might not wait until Tuesday uh, morning or afternoon to make those final decisions. So I'll have the tracker up live. Once we have that 53-man roster, we'll keep our eyes out for the practice squad candidates, something else that we'll have on the site. So uh, I'll be doing my due diligence to keep those up to date as the news breaks on this final roster. All right. Um, from your child's first birthday party to your holiday feast, Sunday football to backyard barbecues and every meal in between tops friendly markets is proud to have been at your table for the past 60 years and looks forward to 60 more tops at your table since 1962. Thank you everybody for joining us on this episode. We will be back next week's going to be a little bit funny. We'll have our staple show on Wednesday. I'm putting together something maybe for Tuesday, but Ryan's traveling that day. So I'll have, uh, we'll have a, reaction to the final 53-man roster. I'll probably have a special guest on for that. And then Wednesday, we'll be back uh, with more uh, discussion. So there you go. For Ryan Talbot, I'm Matt Perino. See you next week. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot.